I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 5 and 6 this morning. I'm actually going to read the text starting uh, at verse 2. Uh, we're talking about prayer first because it ties into what we're going to talk about this morning in evangelism. Listen to what Paul writes here. Colossians chapter 4, beginning of verse 2. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we again ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth. Thank you, Father, for what you have to say to us that again speaks to all areas of life. As we talk about evangelism this morning, sharing our faith in Christ and helping others to know you, Father, help us to remember what a great privilege that is. And all around us, there are people who have yet to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Help us to be part of your church that is bringing others into a relationship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's told about a man who was an inventor. And one day he put together and built a machine that, where he took you know, hundreds of gears and cogs and belts and pulleys and he put them all together and, and with the push of a button this machine would just go merrily on its way just kind of whizzing along beautifully. And then one day a friend came over and he looked at it and he asked him about it and he said, you know, so what does this machine do? And the inventor said, well, it doesn't really do anything but it runs beautifully. And sometimes organizations, even ministries, can be like that too. We can get so caught up in what we are doing or the day-to-day activities or the things that we enjoy and the people that we are working with that we can forget what our purpose is, what our mission is, or why are we here. And so it's good every now and then to kind of step back and ask that question. What is the purpose of the church? Why are we here? What is it that God wants us to be doing? And fortunately, Jesus himself answered that question for us so that we don't have to debate it. And Jesus said that he has called us to know him and to make him known. And that's pretty simple, pretty direct. We are called into his family to know him and then to make him known. For example, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus appointed the twelve apostles... He designated them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And there we have those two sides of the coin again, that they might know him, spend time with him, come into a relationship with him. But also he wanted to send them out to preach. In other words, to to tell others about Jesus, to make him known. We know at the end of Matthew's Gospel in the Great Commission, he said that we are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We are to bring people in a relationship with Christ and help them to grow in that relationship as disciples. And finally, in Acts 1.8, 
He told us that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon us and that we would be His witnesses in this world. That's our assignment as Christians. That's why every church needs to be evangelistic in nature, reaching out, bringing in others so that they might come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And I say that because there are times when in the church we can just enjoy our fellowship, we can enjoy meeting together and the things that we do, whether it's worship services or studying the Scripture or having a meal together. But the whole point of the church is really that we might know Him and then make Him known to a world that needs to know Christ. So how do we do this well? That's what this passage is about. And Paul really begins in in talking about this by stressing the emphasis on prayer. That effective evangelism begins with prayer, and so we need to pray wisely. That's what verses 2 to 4 are about. Now I appreciate what Pastor Jason said last week when he was talking on prayer. And he emphasized that at its heart, prayer is a personal relationship with a personal God who cares about us. He knows our needs. He loves us. He invites us to come to Him as as, uh, His children. And we have this amazing privilege that was really unheard of before Jesus pointed this out, that we could call God our Abba Father. That word Abba, again, a term of endearment, meaning Daddy or Papa. I mean, here we are to approach this reverent, holy God who, you know, in Israel's understanding of God, came to dwell among them in the Holy of Holies, this most significant place within the temple. And yet Jesus is now saying that Holy of Holies is in you. God lives in you. When you come into a relationship with Him, you can call Him your daddy, your father. And God invites us to pray about everything, but I believe that God is delighted when we pray for our friends to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. I think God is delighted in us when we think about those people that we know who have yet to come into a personal relationship with Him and we consistently pray for them. And we need to do that. And we need to pray for ourselves that we would be bold in our witness for Christ Because one of the barriers that keeps people from sharing the gospel is fear. I mean, one of the reasons why people are hesitant to initiate or to bring up the topic or things like that is we're afraid maybe of what people are going to think or are they going to misunderstand or are they going to be offended if we think that maybe they don't have a relationship with Christ? You know, there are all kinds of things that can come up in our mind that become a barrier to taking the initiative to talk about Christ. And we need to be sensitive to that, but we also need to pray for boldness and for wisdom. And I think it's interesting that Paul had those same fears. And you can hear it in the things that he is asking the church in Colossae to pray for him. I mean, here Paul is under house arrest. He's in chains with a Roman guard next to him. He is being there in Rome where he is going to go to trial. He's not sure how this is going to turn out. And so he's quite limited in what he can do, and he also has these human fears that are going through his mind. And so what does he ask for? He asks them to pray that God would open doors for the gospel in verse 3. God, would you open doors that I might tell others about your Son? 
He asked for prayer, that he would be clear, for clarity in presenting the gospel. Lord, help me to make it clear as I should. Help me to state the truth of who you are and what you have done. Help me to make the message clear so that other people can respond to Christ. And then finally, we also see in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul prayed for boldness. I put it up here on the screen. He, he said, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now I know that there are times when we read about Paul's evangelistic efforts or his missionary journeys and we think this was a guy who didn't have a problem with that did he? I mean he was a guy who was once stoned, left for dead, then he gets up, picks himself up and goes back into the city and preaches the gospel again I mean it doesn't strike us perhaps as a person who struggled with fear and yet here Paul is saying pray that I will be given courage to speak the truth as clearly as as I can. Do you need that? I would guess you do. I need that too. I need wisdom from God when I speak and I need His boldness in me so that I may declare the message of the Gospel clearly without fear or without worrying about what other people are going to think. You see, prayer is where the battle is fought and where people are won to Christ. It's when we are consistent in bringing people before His throne of grace that God works and He opens hearts and He brings people to a place of awareness of their need for Jesus, their need for forgiveness of their sins. God's part is to open the doors. Our part is to share the message. We can't lead someone to Christ unless God is at work in us and in their hearts where He opens their hearts. And we simply share the good news of who Jesus is. But God gives us that privilege to do that. I mean, He could do it all by Himself. He could do the whole thing. And sometimes He does in amazing ways where He brings the truth to other people who come to that place of awareness on their own. But most often, God uses individuals like you and me to be the messenger. Now, I want to share a story that really illustrates this this morning. Many of you know the name Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks taught at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's been a well-known speaker, spoken at many conferences and written. And he's just a wonderful man. God has used him powerfully in my life as well. Well, one day Howard Hendricks, this goes back many years, he was at home, he gets a phone call. And uh, the person on the other end identifies himself. He's a young pastor who's giving Howard Hendricks a call and uh, he said, Howie, are you sitting down? And uh, well, he goes, well, yes. Uh, why? Well, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that your father just prayed to receive Christ this evening. And he goes, what? He goes, you've got to be kidding. Now, why would he say that? Why did he have that kind of response? It's because Howard Hendricks didn't grow up in a Christian family. And he came to know Christ through another individual when he was pretty young, and he prayed for his dad for many years. And he had tried to share the gospel with his dad on several occasions, but it was always rebuffed. 
His dad was a military man. His dad had been in the service as a career man. He had been through the wars, and he had uh, was kind of this tough guy approach. And whenever how he would talk to his dad about God, it was always like, you know, you don't have to worry about me. God and I are okay. And he treated God like he was some kind of Pentagon official that he could manipulate anytime he wanted to. I'm okay. You don't have to worry about me. Well, what happened was this. This young pastor, a few years before that, was going on a trip, and another friend of his said, you know, hey, have you ever heard Howard Hendricks? He goes, no. And he said, i got a tape here I want you to listen to. And so he gave him this tape that he plugged in and he listened to it, and in that message, Howie Hendricks told a story about his dad told kind of where he was spiritually and that he had not yet come to know Christ. And this young man, whose name was Butch Hardman, uh, he listened to that and he thought of his own dad. And he had had an opportunity late in his dad's life to share the gospel and his dad had come to know Christ. And so he just heard that message and he made a commitment that he was going to pray for George Hendricks. And he started to do that. A couple years later, he's at a pastor's conference in Philadelphia. Howard Hendricks is one of the speakers. He said, you know, I think I'll just go up and meet him and tell him that I'm praying for your father. And so after one of the talks, he did that. He goes up, he introduces himself, shakes his hand, and tells him that he's praying for his dad. And that's it. There's no kind of ongoing relationship. But then, down the road, this young man, he's a pastor in Alexandria, Virginia. And one day he's driving along in the road in town, and on the curb there's this guy that looks uncannily like Howard Hendricks. And and he goes, could it be, I mean, could this be his dad? And so he, he pulls over, stops, he gets out, he walks over to the curb, and he goes, um, are you Howard Hendricks' father? And the guy has this kind of surprised look and goes, well, yeah, I am. And he, he goes, uh are you a student of my son? And he goes, no, but I want to tell you that he has ministered to me more than you know. You have time for a cup of coffee? So the guy goes, sure, you know, and they meet for coffee and they sit down and talk and begin a relationship. Now he knows that George Hendricks could be kind of put off because he's a pastor and so he just kind of listens and begins to build this relationship. And they meet over a period of several months. And he, you know, endured uh, George Hendricks' cigars, you know, in the smoke. And he uh, listened to all of his war stories and things like that. And he found out also that George Hendricks was suffering from terminal throat cancer. And so one day, the opportunity comes where George Hendricks is not doing well and he's in in bed. And um, Butch goes to see him. And Butch says, you know, I'm going to be leaving on a trip myself here soon. And he said, I wondered if tonight, if I could share a story with you. You know, I've listened to a lot of your stories that you've told. And I'd like to share a story with you this evening. And he said, that would be fine. And he took him to John chapter 3, and he told the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And as a part of that story, he related why Jesus came, and he shared the gospel very gently. And that night, George Hendricks asked Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. And after he prayed that prayer, George Hendricks stood up, got out of bed, he stood up, and he saluted. And, and um, 
Butch said, what are you doing? And he said, I am under a new commander-in-chief. Well, that was the night that Howie Hendricks got this call. Butch called Dallas, Texas, told him the story of what had happened. And Howie Hendricks said this. He said, the last time I saw my dad alive, I could not believe that he was the same man I had known. His frame was wasted, but his spirit was more alive than I had ever known. And in accordance with Dad's wishes, Butch Hardman conducted a crisp military funeral in Arlington Cemetery where the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented to the small group of family and military attendants. And as the guns saluted their final farewell, I knew that God had vindicated 42 years of prayer. 42 years of prayer. Praise God. You know, I think about that story, it illustrates several points that relate to evangelism. Effective evangelism begins with prayer. And we don't know how long it may be before God would answer. Have you ever prayed for someone that long to come to know Christ? I was thinking about it. I have one of my relatives that I've been praying for for 41 years. Maybe this will be the year. I don't know. I've done the same thing where I've shared the gospel at different points, but it's never been really received. It's always kind of that same attitude, like, I'm okay, you don't need to worry about me. But you don't see the fruit in this person's life of a relationship that comes from Christ. I pray that he comes to know Jesus before it's too late. And maybe you have someone like that. God wants us to be praying for those that we know that they might come to know Christ too. But it also is a very good illustration of how this man sensitively built a relationship and prayed for an opportunity where he could talk about Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here as well, that we not only need to pray wisely, but we need to live wisely. And we see that in verse 5. He said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. You know, what he's saying there is literally, um, in the Greek it reads, in wisdom walk or in wisdom, conduct yourselves. So as you live your life, and as you think about those people that God has brought into your circle of influence, whether it's at work or your neighborhood or friends that you have from years past, walk in wisdom. Make the most of the opportunities that you have. I mean, in this passage, he describes those who do not know Christ as outsiders. That's not meant to be... a put down, that's just distinguishing the difference between those who had come to know Christ and those who did not. And when he says make the most of every opportunity, he is talking there about um, you know, buying up the time or, or uh, using it to the fullest. It's actually a marketing term that came out of the agora, the business market in their day, which meant to buy up literally everything. I mean, make the most of these opportunities that you have. And I think about that in the example I shared with Butch Hardman. Here is a man, George, who thought he knew Christ. Well, he didn't come in and say, I don't think you're a Christian. He didn't come in and challenge that. He just lived a life and he built this friendship and he talked about Christ. And he prayed for an opportunity when he could make the message clear. And God used that a relationship that was being built to build a trust where one day George was willing to listen to him and to hear what he had to say. You know, and sometimes that's what it takes. 
I mean, there are times when we come along and someone is just hungry. I mean, other people have plowed the ground, if you will, or have prepared the soil where they are just ready. And I've had that opportunity when people have come to me to just simply share the gospel clearly and they are ready to pray to receive Christ. But other times you're the person that's doing the cultivating. You're the person that's tilling the soil or building the relationship. And you may have the privilege of telling them the good news about Jesus. What he is saying is make the most of every opportunity that you have. And understand that a godly life is a powerful witness. A godly life is a powerful witness. So be real, be a friend, be yourself, and let the life of Christ shine in you. Now let me give you an example of that. When I was in college, I lived in a dorm room, a suite, with three other roommates. And we were good friends. We were all Christians, all involved with Campus Crusade for Christ at that time. And one of the guys was going to be moving out because he had to do his student teaching. And so when he moved out, we knew that we'd probably get another student assigned to live with us. And we didn't know who that would be. We just prayed, God, you know, whoever you want to bring into this dorm situation and living with us in the suite, you know, we just uh, put that in your hands. Well... A young man was assigned who moved in with us, and he was from a small town not too far from where I grew up in Argyle, Minnesota. I know at least one person knows where that is. Uh, Maybe there's a few more as well. But uh, Chuck had grown up in that small town, and we had actually met once before, and I didn't remember that, but he had gone to Boy State, and I had gone to Boy State, and we had met at that time. And so he moved in, and he was a a fun guy, a nice guy, a little goofy, which meant he fit right in with all of us, too. And um, Chuck had grown up going to church, but it wasn't that important in his life. And he hadn't come to a point where he had made a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, when he moved into that suite, I mean, we just, if we had said, Chuck, you want to be in a Bible study and just kind of jump right into that, he might have been a little put off or a little surprised at who are these guys. And we didn't do that. We just included him in what we were doing. We just had fun together and and, uh, lived the life. Let Jesus shine in us. Well, what happened was after about three months of living in that suite, I remember one morning, Chuck got up and I was just the only guy in the in the room that morning and Chuck came over to me and he said okay he goes what gives what gives there's something different about you guys and I want what you have and I had an opportunity that morning to explain what it means to know Jesus personally as your Savior and Lord and Chuck invited Christ to come into his life forgive his sins and be his Savior And there was a change that took place in his life. And it was pretty dramatic over the months that went forward. It was just so neat to see how God had used that kind of quiet witness, if you will, just of guys living the life and following Christ to touch somebody else's heart because that's exactly what he had done in my life about three years before that. When I saw students who talked about Jesus like he was their best friend, And I had never really heard or known people who talked about Jesus in that way, and I wanted to have that kind of relationship too. A godly life is a powerful witness. It can make people thirsty, hungry, wanting to know Jesus as well. And sometimes that's the very best way to approach this whole thing. But thirdly, 
Paul tells us that we also need to speak wisely. There comes a point where we need to share the gospel with words. At some point that's going to come or we're never going to make this thing clear. If we're going to make it clear what it knows to Jesus Christ, then we need to verbalize the message. And Paul says in this passage that when we do that, we should let our conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. Let it be attractive. Let it be inviting. Let it be winsome or full of life. That's where he calls us to speak the truth in love. Not to speak down to anyone. Not to be condescending as though we are better than someone else because we're not. We are all sinners. And we are saved by the grace of God. And apart from His grace, there would be no difference in us. And so we come and we share that good news in a way that just is like a person when they're excited about something else in their life that they want to tell somebody about. I mean, we are excited about Jesus and what He's done, and we want others to know Him too. He says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. And when you think about salt, it brings out the flavor and things where it makes people thirsty. And so speak in such a way that others are drawn to Christ or are made thirsty. And finally, he says, speak in such a way that is appropriate for each person, that you might know how to respond to each one. You know, it's different whether we are talking to children or adults or a seeker or a skeptic or a person who has a a large knowledge about the Bible or maybe knows nothing. We need to start where they are and make things clear and just take it a step at a time. That's why there's no set formula that works for everybody. It takes wisdom and discernment on our part to know where to begin and what to say. But at some point, we need to make the gospel clear. You know, I think of a woman at our church who was telling about a coworker. And she looked at this co-worker that she spent a lot of time with, and this person was moral, person of integrity, and she thought maybe she's a Christian. And so she asked her, you know, one day, she said, where do you go to church? And uh, she said, I don't. She goes, you know, our family didn't grow up going to church at all. And, and just then, the Holy Spirit spoke to this woman, and she said, she put into her mind a thought, and she said to this other woman, she said, well, how do you handle death? And the woman looked at her and she said, I don't. The thought of death terrifies me. And that was the opening to share the good news about Jesus. And sometimes it's just a word, sometimes it's just a question or something that we say that may be the thing that opens the door to be able to present the gospel. And we need to wait upon the Holy Spirit and ask Him, Lord, would you just give me the right words to say? We have a white rose up here today from a middle school student that came to know Christ. Really because of these things that I'm talking about this morning. Because of prayer, people who are praying for students involved in our ministry. Because of friendships that were built, inviting a student to come, to be a part of our youth group, and then finally coming to that point where their need is known, there's an awareness of their sin, and they ask Christ to be their Savior and Lord. Each step was important. The people who pray, the people who build the relationship, as well as the person who communicates the gospel. What's your part in that? What is God asking you to do as you think about your relationship with those who don't know Jesus? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, 
that we are to set apart in our hearts Christ as Lord. That's the living the life that is honoring to Him. In our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and live for Him. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What a wonderful verse to explain the heart of what evangelism is. It's not pushy. It's not meant to be offensive. I know that there are times when the gospel itself can be offensive because people recognize that that means that I'm a sinner. I've offended a holy God. I stand in need of His forgiveness. And there are people that don't want to hear that. I mean, they want to think that they're okay. But here he's saying, do that. Share the good news with gentleness and respect. That God loves you and He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And He wants you to come into a relationship with Him where you can be forgiven and you can experience joy and life to the very fullest. It is through Jesus, His Son. And when He says, always be prepared to give an answer, the word answer there is the word apology. And it doesn't mean to like apologize like we think of it. It actually means the word defense or answer. It's where we get our word apologetics from. That we are to be able to answer the questions that people have. And so if we're going to do that, well then we need to know the gospel well and we need to be able to present it clearly. And there are tools or different methods that people use to share the good news. It might be your personal testimony. Or you just weave it in when you tell your story of how you came to know Christ. It might be using something like the four spiritual laws that explains the gospel very clearly. It could be the Romans road using these scriptures that are given up on the screen just walking through uh, the book of Romans. It might be using something like Steps to Peace with God, which Billy Graham organization puts out. All of those are tools that we can use. And we as Christians should be familiar with them so that very comfortably, when we are asked, we can make the gospel clear. But it also helps if we can answer basic questions that people have. And that's where other tools come in, or that's where apologetics come in. I think of things like the Holman Study Bible that Jason, Pastor Jason contributed to. It's a great resource that answers many of the questions that people have about Christ or about Christianity. But there are books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell or The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel or recently, in fact, on our trip last week, I read the book uh, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, inner city, deals a lot with skeptics, has a church of about 5,000 people now, and many of those are young adults in their 20s and 30s who are wrestling with you know, questions about the meaning of life and about Christianity and how can Jesus be the only way to God and what does the Bible say about that? And his book was just a wonderful telling of the story and he offered nine clues for the existence of God in a very winsome way. Nine clues, nine compelling reasons to believe in God. And I I would recommend that book to you if you have questions or if there's somebody who you are talking with that has questions about those things. There are great tools. Remember again, God's, God's part in all of this, He's the one that opens doors, so we pray and we look for opportunities. Our part is to tell the story well, and so we prepare ourselves to do that. 
If you have questions about any of that or you need help, our class on Christianity Explored can help you. Uh, the Truth Project that Jason's teaching right now is just excellent on those things, and we have these kind of tools available that you can take and read from our library, and we can help you with that. Jesus has called us to know him and to make him known. So pray wisely. Pray for people that God has brought into your life that they might know Christ. Maybe it's five, maybe you have ten on your list, but I would encourage you to think about those people that you know and to pray for them individually by name. That God would be at work in their hearts and bring them to Christ. Live wisely. Be a friend. Let others see Jesus in you. Let your light shine in the way that you live. And finally, speak wisely. Look for those opportunities to talk about Christ. And when they happen, make the most of them. Be ready, speak wisely, speak the truth in love, and tell others the good news about Jesus. Now I think about our church again, and if we all have that mindset, and if we are all looking for those kind of opportunities, you know, and we pray, and, I mean, just this week there could be 500 different opportunities to talk to somebody about Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And wouldn't it be great to see what God would do? Let's pray. Father, would you grant us the courage that we need to be able to put this into practice? Not only to pray, but to live in such a way that others might see Jesus in us. And then as you open those doors for the gospel, Lord, help us to make the message clear. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is consistently seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Would you help us to do that? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity as we follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.